welcome. Hello, my name is Andrew WK, and every day you have to give it all. You have to always go full steam, and you might get tired of living like this, but you have to do things this way. It might sound a little bit repetitive, to say the least, and that too might sound repetitive, but it is all true and necessary to live, and if you really want to live, there's certainly a difference between living and existing and growing and changing and learning and dieting and dumping and hollering and yelling and screaming and bursting and busting. You name it, he was doing it. Uh, this is WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. I'm going to humiliate you one more time. My pleasure. I better start talking about my family first, I guess. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Classical rock, a true paradox. This is to Dalton. This is to Dalton. Well, it's a little after 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And by the skin of my teeth, I'm Jim Dwyer. Yeah, by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin out there with this cold. Woo! Yeah, that's for sure. Don't leave your skin outside for too long. Yeah. Uh, you'll definitely want gloves. And a extra well, this is this is the night where I wear the uh, the uh, extra bandana <laughs> to complement the scarf to put up over my nose if I, I need to. But uh, we're, at least we're not Boston. <laughs> yeah, just keep telling yourself that. And at least we're not uh, Sponge Jeb Squarepants Bush. <laughs> I think he's starting. Sponge Jeb Square Putch Bush. Yes. Pants. I don't know if he's ever going to live down the fact that at the Detroit Economic Club, he said that, and I, you know, yeah, I can accept he loves his brother, but I wouldn't call him a great president. That's, uh, that might be a quote that uh, comes back to haunt him. He's nowhere close to that list, which is a short list. I mean. He's in James Buchanan territory. <laughs> ew, he's in, like, special, you know, asterisk. Yeah. Category. He's in the short bus category. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll give uh, Jeb a, a brain damage award. Cataclysmic week in the media. Wow. Um, obviously, I'm not going to talk about Brian Williams' problems. Those are, are under investigation, and he's re on a leave of absence. Well, you know, just real quickly on him, uh, I never understood why he was fast-tracked to, like, the big desk, because he always seemed a little more than smug and sort of like, uh, hey, I'm a frat boy who made it into the big leagues of media. He never seemed like uh, a real reporter, uh, somebody who was interested in the story. He was interested in looking good and being there where it was happening. Yeah, I, like and, I uh, commented last week, it always looked to me like he was sitting on a whoopee cushion yeah, while he was, was reading the news. He wasn't yeah. a really great news reader. No, but, but there is a big distinction between exaggeration and flat-out fraud. I mean, he's silly to exaggerate uh, when just, you know, riding on a helicopter in Iraq is should be enough excitement for anybody. I mean, you don't want that kind of excitement, but you make it up because it's sexy or people will think you're cooler or 
feel sorry for you if you suffered a close one, but uh, you know it's not like Colin Powell holding up a, a actual bottle of fake anthrax in his hand, saying, you know, here's a sample of what Saddam Hussein has in store for us, or you know, the famous story in 1990 of the uh, Kuwaiti incubators that Iraqi soldiers supposedly dumped there. I mean, those are fraudulent stories that are cooked up for the propagandistic purposes of state. Uh, so Brian Wilson uh, deserves... Uh, Brian Williams. Co- Brian Williams, yeah, yeah. Deserves his uh, career lumps. Uh, but this isn't anything like fraud. No, it, it's it's ironic that what actually got him into trouble was uh, uh, he was at a New York Rangers game and they played a clip and then he went back to his Walter Mitty uh, days yeah. in Iraq. So... We'll not comment much more about him. Bob Simon. Um, quite frankly, maybe the best foreign reporter that I grew up watching. Uh, longtime CBS guy. Covered the Vietnam War. Um, was actually in Saigon when the city fell. Uh, moved to Lebanon during the Civil War there. Uh, great contacts in the Middle East. I think he was always uh, the best uh, television news reporter from the Middle East. And uh, his harrowing experience uh, getting captured during the first Persian Gulf War um, was uh, a very interesting tale. I don't have his obituary with me because, oddly enough, my newspaper got filched that day. I think it might have been because... The reviews of Touch of, not, not Touch of Grey. Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> that might have been the the appealing thing that one of, mm. one of the people walking down Miller decided, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to see what the review is for this. So we won't worry about it, uh, about uh, what's actually in his obituary, but uh, a fantastic uh, foreign correspondent. And of course, numerous Emmys, et cetera, Peabody Awards, whatever. Um, kind of at the end of his career, of course, you know, on 60 Minutes for years. Um, very professional. I think I can even almost vaguely recall pictures of him, you know, in like swampy, big muddy in, in, in Vietnam. Yeah. And, uh, that really is, uh, reportage. That's real reporting. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like actually Under going fire. to the places. Yeah. And, and and the fact that he was uh, captured in during the first Persian Gulf War was was interesting because he said he left the uh, protection of being embedded and mm. decided to go off on his own with a buddy. And they got into some no man's land, were captured by Iraqi army. And uh, what saved his life was that his Red Cross badge, I heard this... Uh, uh, an interview on Fresh Air repeated his Red Cross badge indicated that he was a Protestant. <laughs> and he almost changed it. He's actually Jewish, but if he had been identified, because oh, yeah, when he yeah. filled out his application for his Red Cross badge, which basically just gives you uh, who who you are, what you're doing in the war zone and your blood type, for some bizarre reason, they ask your religion. And... Um, Oh, in case there's an emergency and you need last rites or whatever. So yeah, like that, that that might be it. needs. And it was interesting because he apparently left the um, 
application blank. So the U.S. Army put the in default settings Protestant. Protestant. Yeah. And then Bob Simon went to the sergeant or the, ma- the you know, lieutenant colonel or whoever it was, the guy in charge, and uh, asked that it be uh, corrected. And he said, well, I can get you one tomorrow. But he said he looked at him, looked him at, looked at him in the eye and said, you really want to do this? Think about it, you know, because uh, he he saved his life. Storm, yeah. He saved his life because he he would have been uh, shot on the spot. And uh, to his credit, despite spending uh, I don't know forty nights and 40, 40 days in a cold jail, a dungeon of sorts, you got to remember that when uh, frontline troops are on patrol or out at the front, they don't have exceptionally well-equipped prisoner of war facilities. There aren't any Taco Bells or volleyball beach uh, setups like the American troops got. And there's been a recent debate, of course, about the War Powers Act. But I was hearing that the the, the cost to support a ground troop in Iraq is $600,000 per soldier per year. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. In Afghanistan, $1.2 million per soldier per year. So all of these hawks and idiots uh, in uh, Congress, and of course uh, many of them were uh, behind overthrowing Gaddafi, behind overthrowing Saddam Hussein, getting into Afghanistan. Some of them have even advocated going into the Ukraine. Sure, why not? Which would be insane. So uh, Bob Simon's story about being a POW is uh, is a very interesting recollection and uh, amazing that a guy that did all of, you know, was in that sort of danger over and over uh, would um, be killed in Manhattan in a, in a car accident, a, a cab or a limousine or something. Kind of incredible, kind of ironic, but it's a it's a reminder that in America there are about thirty three to thirty four thousand deaths per year in traffic accidents. Well, it's a crazy uh, mixed up planet. And of course, uh, texting and driving is uh, not helping the situation. The death of David Carr. Wow, another kind of devastating blow. Um, I would rank David Carr uh, as one of the great writers that the New York Times ever uh, had on their staff. And he uh, ironically died of a heart attack shortly after uh, hosting a um, documentary forum on Citizen Four. He had Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poydras on the panel. This was in New York. He was a former crack addict and heavy drinker and I think he admitted to smoking his entire life from the age of 12 or something. A.M. Rosenthal never would have hired David Carr. But David Carr got his life cleaned up a little bit, and he was a brilliant observer of the news. He had that regular column in the Monday New York Times. In fact, ironically, his last column was about the Brian Williams situation. Mm-hmm. And they published one today that I just highly recommend checking out. It's written under his byline, 
of David Carr, but it's not David Carr. It's obviously one of his colleagues on the New York Times explaining how David Carr taught journalism, taught uh, observe the world not with a sort of uh, uh, insightful, witty observations, but real compassion about what life was really all about because he'd gone through these uh, personal struggles. And uh, it's a credit to Bill Keller, former editor of the New York Times, who's now working on some sort of some sort of justice project involving uh, the, the criminal justice system and the injustices involved in it. And those are so numerous, it's, it's a little difficult where to begin with that. But uh, David Carr's columns over the past several years have been, I think, some of the best uh, in the history of the New York Times. I would rank him up there with Russell Baker, Frank Rich. Um, you know, there have been literary critics that have been brilliant, like Kukatani. But David Carr's analysis of the world and the news business, because his column was called The Media Equation, is really worth checking out. I'm sure a lot of it's still online, uh, and I'm sure you can go to the New York Times website to read some of his his columns over the year because I was always... It was one of those things that I read every week, no matter what. Now, it occasionally might have been on a subject that I wasn't terribly uh, enamored with, but uh, usually had a lot of meaning... You know, I'd put Floyd Norris up there, the uh, economic correspondent that has columns uh, on uh, Friday and Saturday, Gretchen Morganson. But David Carr had a certain human touch that was very unusual in professional journalism that I think will be sadly missed. So, yeah, just an amazing week in the world of journal journalism. Well, I'll, you know... Uh not passing away, but uh, stepping down from his podium on The Daily Show, John Stewart. Yeah, exactly. That, that's uh, another that, fairly that significant gonna... uh, yeah. media. I mean, Cor Stephen Colbert has already retired. From a purely satirical standpoint, I think Colbert is probably the more uh, pointed uh, program. Yeah. The Colbert Report was was more uh, decidedly satire. Where, but, but John Stewart really conveyed the news with the sense of exasperation that a thinking person, you know, undergoes when they watch the news. Like, is this, can this be real? Yeah. Now, uh, you have to imagine that, you know, we come down here once a week and do our half hour show commenting sure. about things, but to have a show uh, four nights a week, we have to not only, you know, select news stories and develop news stories like a real news show. Um, that is with a, a big budget and a crew and a staff and all that, but to be funny, to, Consistently. To that consist degree of consistency is a very high pressure gig, and so uh, and of course it helps to have good writers, as he's acknowledged, and of course he he did stand up comedy as a young fella. Uh, another yeah, incredible loss to journalism. It's ironic, amidst the Brian Williams hoopla, that 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 John Stewart is actually regarded <laughs> as the most authoritative person on well, the news well for persons under a certain bill age, clinton even yeah. said where am i going to get the real news yeah exactly uh, apparently he tweeted something to that effect so you know 
the way people watch news, the way people consume news has changed dramatically, and the Internet is part of this, but also the way that the media presents news, of course, back when the news programs uh, within networks became uh, budgetary issues, and it was just like, oh, these shows need to make a profit. Um, you know, the Walter Cronkite era of news reporting is very different from the Brian Williams era of news reporting, and even the, the Gulf Wars... Uh, changed the way that wars are reported on the Bush, the Reagan uh, the Bush administration you know sort of changed the game rules for how reporters are allowed into a combat zone so people studying journalism today and indeed devoted need to look oh. at the history of the development of journalism and how was the Vietnam War reported uh, how was the Gulf War reported you know these changes are significant. Well, and of course, the Vietnam War was the, was the first war, the first television war, of course. Right. You saw it on your 6 o'clock news when you were a kid playing with your Tonka trucks in the living room floor. They weren't going to give you just what the military wanted to tell you the way they did in World War II and World War, well, the Korean War. Um, of course, the old journalists that covered wars really were. <laughs> they weren't just embedded. They They were under fire. Yeah, Ernie Pyle being the big... But it's uh, interesting that in the invasion of Grenada uh, that Reagan orchestrated a couple of days after the uh, Lebanon truck bombing, uh, the American military devoted more uh, military resources to keeping the journalists out than uh, capturing the six uh, Colt 45s. Yeah. And I'm not too sure whether those were beers or guns. <laughs> Maurice Bishop is still uh, <laughs> under investigation. An odd name for the uh, Prime Minister of Grenada at the time, since that was a very famous uh, cover name of a very dubious character involved in the Kennedy assassination. Oh. But I thought that the um, David Carr uh, obituary where they described it just in one paragraph was just so well put. He says, uh, and this was written by Bruce Weber and Ashley Southall, Mr. Carr's writing was plain spoken and could be blunt. He often gathered in readers conspiratorially and was sometimes self-referential and conscience-stricken. The effect was both folksy and sophisticated, a voice from a shrewd and well-informed skeptic. And it's almost like you could say the same thing about John Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got that folksy, sophisticated, witty, sharp, blunt mm -hmm. style. Uh, and of course, broadcasting and doing a television show is, is quite different than writing uh, under deadline or uh, and it's interesting that David Carr did, you know, when he started out at the Times, actually started out as a kind of a, at the bottom and worked his way into pop culture and, and worked his way up to this uh, regular column that he had on Mondays. But uh, he will be sadly missed. And, of course, everybody's going to miss Jon Stewart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's no replacing the sort of chemistry. But, uh, well, there'll be something else. And, of course, satire... You know, Jonathan Swift has been dead for a couple of hundred years now, but satire continues in its uh, in its way, and uh, it's just 
been our privilege, I guess, to have enjoyed such programs for uh, as long as they were able to run. And, of course, the way to get good at satire is to read the satirists, to appreciate the subtle differences between a Jonathan Swift and, say, a Mark Twain, who had folksy humor, um, or a piercing wit like Ambrose Bierce. Mm, yeah. Even the poetry of Alexander Pope is uh, underrated, in my opinion, for those people out there willing that are willing to sharpen their uh, literary skills and understanding how to present uh, prose, if not poetry. Of course, the uh, couplet is sort of uh, faded on us. But uh, some of his uh, his poems, you know, if you get if you find a, ever find a book of the complete works of Alexander Pope, uh, pick it up. He's got a funny essay on criticism that's uh, you worth you reading. can put it in your library right next to Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, speaking of literary figures, and I can't resist this because this is the brain damage word that just simply needs uttering, and it doubles back to your missing newspaper with the uh, possible passerby interested in the review of Fifty Shades of Grey. But uh, there's uh, another radio station here in town that read an announcement from a sponsor. Uh, and for Valentine's Day, this uh, sales pitch was, this was read by the station's announcer, uh, that uh, for Valentine's Day, buy your loved one a, a special Valentine's Day teddy bear with a special Fifty Shades of Grey theme. Oh, yeah, I've heard about this teddy bear. And I thought, okay, well, that's seriously messed up <laughs> because, of course, teddy bears are for children. You buy this, you know, I don't know if it comes with a bondage whip or a gag ball or God knows what else. It comes with some, uh, some sort of bondage paraphernalia. Yeah. yeah. So uh, how you explain this to children when you go, Grandma, what's this? On you know, hooked on to the teddy bear. Uh, advertising obsession it's, with bears is it's one of those utensils already that troubling. Richard Nixon used when he played cowboys <laughs> and Indians with with BB. <laughs> he, he was get out the bear. You get out the bear. I'll be the cowboy. That's You'll right. be the Indian. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, you know these. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to anthropomize uh, animals too much. <laughs> There's already a cutesification, uh, sort of a gentrification of porn. There's been some criticism, and, of course, pornography is something that uh, is for people who are interested in it. I really have no concern for it one way or the other. But uh, the sort of cutesification, the Krogerization of porn, where this Fifty Shades of Grey phenomena, where this is the sort of softcore porn or slash erotica, if that's a preferable term, uh, is, you know, for sale at Kroger's. So Yeah. Well, it, it is ironic that, I, that I, and of course I was devoted to listening to this, uh, to the Terry Gross show on Friday because of the passing of David Carr. Uh, they devoted most of the show to a couple of interviews he did uh, over the years, but, it, but the, it ended with the review of Fifty Shades yeah. of Grey. And the um, I don't remember the name of the reviewer. He's he's actually quite good. I think, I think he he he's he his film analysis is superb. Yeah, I've heard that guy's good. He's and I just can't remember his name. I think it might be David Bien Cooley. Maybe he's the TV guy. I can't. I just can't remember. Can't keep all these media people straight. Sometimes should have written it down. Should have taken notes. But uh, his his uh, criticism of the movie. And he, he actually didn't pan it. He said that it uh, uh, was, quote, an old-fashioned romantic t 
tale with a little bit of uh, mischief. Not too bad, as he put it. But his, his great criticism was, but it went on and on and on. <laughs> I, had, I had trouble sitting through the whole thing. Yeah. Apparently, it's kind of lengthy, so... Uh, uh, you well, might... nowadays you go to see the movies and uh, this new Will Smith movie, Focus, I saw Inherent Vice in the theater twice and I saw this trailer for the Will Smith movie, you know, both times. And I feel like I've seen the whole movie. They show you the whole damn story arc in the trailer. Right. Yeah, well, well a, lot of okay. spe- a lot of these special effects in this day and age. Yeah, yeah. Who needs to go to the movie? And some, most of them are, are quite uh, junky, but I was actually kind of surprised by the box office uh, yeah, draw. Yeah, it's, it's a big, it's, it was the big hit of the weekend. Of the weekend, but, uh, but I think Valentine's Day and perhaps a lot of cold weather <laughs> throughout <laughs> the Midwest and Northeast uh, might have assisted in that, assuming that you could get to the movie theater, but uh, well, <laughs> who knows? I'm sure yeah. that I will probably see it eventually. Yeah, I'm not going to bother with that one. But uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, just videos and movies, I've where heard... it's purient interest. Right. <laughs> and speaking of purient, purient interest, I've heard some people saying, you know, how shocked and horrified they are at the degree of violence in, you know, what are being called ISIS recruitment videos, where people are being beheaded and oh yeah, setting people on fire and stuff. Well, they got more and of I, that to yeah, uh, <laughs> yesterday. So, uh, of course, it's horrible and terrible, and nobody should, uh, of course, want to see such things or have to see such things. But I don't think anybody here can be shocked that they're doing such things because don't you remember the Abu Ghraib photos? I mean, those are torture photos that were sort of spread like porn online. Well, and they use uh, the orange jumpsuit for deliberate effect. Yeah, I mean, it's an iconography there that's being tapped into again. It's like, oh, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. I don't know that uh, beheading people... It's terrible, but... Burning people in a cage or... I guess what's next is burning somebody at the stake. Uh, we, we, you know, the, the, I don't know how There's this a long re- European tradition of that. Yeah, I don't know how this uh, helps recruit people, but uh, yeah, that's uh, also a little bizarre. ISIL uh, is uh, a strange organization with, uh, uh, in my opinion, a bunch of random dudes in the desert. Well, you know, and the, it's interesting. The KKK, like you know, yeah. would use recruitment videos like that. So, sure, and that's part of American culture too. So, and of course, it's human culture we're talking about here, not specifically religious culture. And of course, an amazing uh, uh, story this past week about lynchings and the actual number of total lynchings. Oh, that was an interesting graph that wow. the Times had about the thousands. Yeah, over four thousand. Yeah, much higher than previously acknowledged. Right, so uh, these are essentially uh, unresolved murder cases. And these were based, by the way, on press reports. These weren't even maybe the random weird disappearance where some guy... So in reality, it's probably a significantly higher number. It might have been, yeah, it might have been uh, (laughs) off on on the beach somewhere and never heard from again. But uh, that was an amazing story, and of course... Just horrific stuff you you have with ISIL. You know, Egypt retaliated today with airstrikes. Uh, Iraq announces a counteroffensive uh, with the uh, with ground troops. By the way, uh, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Iraq, a failed state. Libya, a failed state. Yemen, civil war, a failed state. It's a rather remarkable situation. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I'm a great president. He pulled the, one of the great moronic moves of all time. He was 
giving a victory lap speech out on a aircraft carrier out in San Diego while Hurricane Katrina was mm. going on, and then did the flyover and then realized there might be a problem down there in New Orleans. Uh, and, of course, his famous brownie, you're doing a hell of a job, will go down in history. Uh, remarkable stuff. And uh, I, yeah, I think he's got to come even after William Henry Harrison. I mean, the, the one-month president. Yeah, well, he was president for, yeah, like... Got sick at his inauguration. Six, six weeks, yeah. I think. And uh, I don't know. It, at it, least he did no harm that I know he of. He did no harm, and he <laughs> somehow got uh, Tippecanoe and Tyler, well, yeah, too, I as, guess a, he as a memorable... Did his harm there. That was his big sla- campaign slogan, right? His memorable campaign slogan, and I believe he was the first Whig actually elected to the... Uh, presidency of the united states uh mentioning that on president's day and obscurity of presidency i'll go out on history in that regard but we would like to thank you for uh listening to wcbn uh, fm ann arbor and for pledging last week during the fundraiser i sadly was uh knocked down with the flu wasn't able to be here but thanks to those who called in and pledged their support to gray matters or to any public affairs programming and to the station at large. Yes, and and uh, this has been the show Gray Matters, not uh, Fifty Shades of Gray. <laughs> Just a friendly reminder. Fifty reminder. Shades of Matter. Maybe I can. Uh, we can take advantage of this. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're like one shade of gray. Gray is already there. Is a kind of a double entendre, by the way, involving the the name Gray Matters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's it's one shade of gray, really. <laughs> Even though I think there are actually fifty. Shades of gray, and I have a variety of gray. <laughs> Dick Cheney gray, Steely gray. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have dungeon gray. I have a thing about gray hats and gray scarves. So, <laughs> a couple of gray shirts, but uh, I look good in gray for some reason. Yeah, I think it's my feels good with, with most anything. Natural tan. <laughs> anyway, the blues we, are coming up next. So from we, gray to blue. Gray to blue, uh, stay tuned, Yazoo City Calling, coming up next right here on this fine station. Your radio is on. It's on 88.3 FM, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding, licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Good evening. Time is now 7.01. This is Yazoo City Calling, our weekly dedication to down-home original American blues music, broadcasting to you live every Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. on 88.3 FM since 1988 when Jerry Mack started this program. My name is Weston. I'll be your host today. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to call and make a request, 734 763 3500 is the phone number. We're going to get started off right away here with a recording made down in Georgia uh, by the guitar player George Carter. 
recorded in 1929. I heard a fellow down at the Old Town Tavern here in Ann Arbor play this song the other night. Uh, 